blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And in this episode, we have got a Bruce Boxleitner episode for you. That's right, we knew everybody loves Bruce Boxleitner, and so we're like, man, we have got to get him on this show as much as possible. And a lot of you are probably asking... Who the fuck is Bruce Boxleitner? <laughs> I, think, well, I think the real nerds will know who he is. The real nerds will know who he is. So we're not actually specifically doing an episode in honor of him, um, but he just happens to be in both of the the movie and the show that we are talking today, which is Ultra Nerdgasm All the Way. <laughs> we are talking the 1982 film Tron and following that up, with uh, a review of the show Babylon 5, and then also recasting a brand new Babylon 5 using actors of today. I had honestly no idea that uh, Bruce, Bo- actually not even just Bruce Boxliner, two people were in both of those shows, John, which I thought was crazy. Bruce Boxleitner plays Tron. Uh, we'll talk about him later, but he mm-hmm. is also uh, one of the main captains in Babylon 5. Uh, and then also Peter Jurassic plays uh, one of the programs in Tron, and he plays uh, Londo in Babylon 5, who was on, all, I think, all episodes. Yeah. So it's just kind of kind of funny how similar actors were on both of these shows. It's not a coincidence, Adam. That's exactly why I picked both of them. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. I mean, you picked it, so I just I just assumed it was because you're a big fucking nerd is why you picked it, not because you are in love with Bruce Boxleitner. But okay, so this is a Bruce Boxleitner episode, everybody. <laughs> Okay. Basically, I wanted to do Babylon 5, and I was trying to think of something to pair it with, and remembered that Boxleitner was in Tron, and then pleasantly was surprised as I went back and watched it and realized, oh yeah, Peter Jurassic's in this too. That's cool. <laughs> All right, so this is this is dedicated to you, Bruce. I hope you are listening, man, um, because yeah, we, <laughs> it's all for you. Uh, All right, so uh, 1982, the year Tron came out. John, my man, what happened that year? So the movie came out on July 9th of 1982. The Billboard Top 100 uh, single of that week is a classic. It's uh, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Fuck yes. So this this had to be around Rocky 3 time then or something. That's okay. Something like that, yeah. Yes. Thank you, Survivor. Thank you, Eye of the Tiger. Thank you, Rocky. That <laughs> is awesome. That makes me really happy to, to, to have that one going. That's a It's a classic song. I think everyone knows that song. Even, even young kids today know that song. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it gets overplayed for anything like any sports event kind of thing yeah. going on or any, if there's any kind of like, you know, cheesy montage, you're going to, you're going to rip on, 
Eye of the Tiger for sure. So in also in that year, uh, Universal Studios sued the Nintendo company uh, over the similarities between King Kong and Donkey Kong. Mm. Not only did Universal lose, but they found that Universal was actually in violation <laughs> of a copyright by Nintendo when they released a King Kong video game. Because <laughs> that that's that's a lot more similar if you have a King Kong video game yeah. in between the movie and the TV. The, that, okay, that's yeah. cool. Uh, another one, and this is really just kind of uh, for you, Adam, and for all of our friends who kind of live in the Atlanta area. Uh, that year, the Atlanta Braves, who, eh, you know, in the 80s, they didn't do so well. Yeah, yeah. They had a pitcher named Pascual Perez. Um, I'm not sure where country he came from, but he obviously had just gotten there. Uh, he'd only recently gotten his license, and he got lost on Interstate 285. <laughs> now, if you don't live in Atlanta, Interstate 285 is a loop. Yeah. It just literally goes in a loop around the city of Atlanta. Uh, and he got lost, didn't know which one was his exit, and missed his scheduled start for that game. Oh, he shit. missed the whole game. <laughs> yeah, and he was a, a new driver yeah. <laughs> at that time. That's funny. Um, and then the last thing I'm going to say about 1982 actually has to do with Tron. Believe it or not, Adam, you would think out of all the things that Tron could be nominated for in the Academy Awards, what do you think would probably be the most likely thing that they would be nominated for? Uh, visual effects? Visual effects. Guess what they weren't nominated for? Visual effects. Because the Academy considered the use of computers for the visual effects as cheating. Wow. How, the, how those people back in the day would be <laughs> spinning in their graves right now. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, so the one thing that this, the the movie is really known for, they didn't get nominated for the Academy Awards for that year. Wow, that is quite funny. And that is 1982. Okay, 1982 sounded like a great year. Uh, one more thing about this episode, we have a sponsor. Very happy to say that trap music star Kevlar Monkey Clips, his new single called ECV Life featuring DJ Phoenix has sponsored this episode. We love you for that. Uh, and the one caveat that Kevlar had for us was we had to say an embarrassing story about one of ourselves. So uh, John is going to let all of you know an embarrassing story about me when I was younger. All right. So I remember uh, when I probably was in seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that, that would have put you in like second, third, fourth, something like that. Uh, we moved into a house that had an above ground pool. And it was awesome. It was nice. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And the pool had a porch that was built around it. So it was an above ground pool and they built a porch around it. So you actually went in, you know, it looked like it was, you know, in ground, even though it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I think we lost something in between uh, the cracks of the boards or something like that. And I had a friend over and Adam was the only one small enough to crawl underneath there to go get it. And so it was, it was basically on the opposite side from the door that you needed to get it in underneath there. <laughs> yeah, and, I remember this. And he, he crawled around and he found it. And pretty much as soon as he found it, he started screaming and then running. And the only reason I know he was running is because the sound of his voice traveled very fast. Kind of like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, I was screaming. And as he comes running out, he comes out holding his ass. Turns out <laughs> there was a wasp nest under there, and he got stung right in his butt. Dude, and, and all I had like was my swim trunks on. You know, there's like not much protection. You could have gotten me anywhere, but he got me right on my fucking ass. And I was, it, it hurt like shit. I, to this day, I am afraid of wasps. Like partly, you know, just everybody's probably afraid of wasps, but I have like a- Wasps are assholes. Yeah. <laughs> wasps are assholes because they got near my asshole. Uh, and they <laughs> stung right on me. And it honestly, 
it was traumatic. It was awful. Like I just, uh, I, I couldn't stand it. And then honestly, I don't think I could sit for like the next couple days without having some pain. <laughs> All right. There's your embarrassing story. Yeah. Don't go under pools that have wasp nests uh, to retrieve whatever you're looking for. Cause you're going to get stung in the ass, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that business is done. Let's get into Tron. Tron came out in 1982, written and directed by Steven Lisberger. Uh, this is pretty much the only thing that he's known for. Um, music was done by Wendy Carlos, and there's really not much to talk about, but I liked that uh, on Wendy Carlos, she is also the composer for the music for The Shining, oh. which is a good uh, creepy score there. The development of Tron began in 1976 when Lisberger became intrigued with like the early video game Pong. Uh, so, and he and this uh, producer, Donald Kushner, um, set up an animation studio to develop Tron uh, with the intention of making it an animated film, mm-hmm. actually. So it was going to originally be animated. Eventually, they decided to include all these live action elements um, with both computer animation and, and backlit uh, human people uh, for a feature length film. So it's just kind of, you know, interesting. I mean, they started this one early and back in the day with this much animation uh, and computer needed to it, like, yeah, knowing that they actually got started in the concept and things like that back in six years before it came out right. makes a lot of sense. So the, the movie itself is actually kind of produced or put out by Disney. So this is technically a Disney film. Uh, and the reason they ended up with Disney was their company, the animation company that Lisberger uh, had started, they actually were in Boston and they got a uh, contract to do some animation for the Olympics. Mm. And uh, they were going to do the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics. And so they didn't have enough animators in Boston. Like they had six and they were like, that was literally all the animators that were in Boston. <laughs> so they packed up and they moved to California, I think to Venice specifically. And so they could have more people. So they did uh, one of the two Olympics. I think it was the Summer Olympics. And then the next or two years later, whenever or whenever the Winter Olympics were happening, or no, because they happened the same year. I forgot. Back then, yes. the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics happened in the same year before they started offsetting it. Mm-hmm. Then the U.S. boycotted, I believe it was the Winter Olympics, because of something about Russia's involvement or something like that. So the animation that they made for the Winter Olympics didn't get shown. Mm-hmm. And they were planning on using that money to make Tron as an independent movie. And then all of a sudden when they didn't have that, they realized, okay, we've, we have to find somebody who will back this movie. There's no way. Do it. And so they went about setting, you know, going to uh, animation studios to find someone to, to basically pay for the movie. And Disney was the one that took it up because it was kind of like they were in between. They were in like their down period, Disney was. They're, they were not known for their animation anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were trying to do more live action stuff. This was before the Renaissance with uh, Little Mermaid and, and yeah, Aladdin, et cetera. Aladdin, yeah, this, et cetera. Is, this is definitely the dark period of Disney. Um, like we talked about that a little bit with uh, when we had our Rescuers episode, right. which came out in 77. And like that was definitely on the downslide uh, before Little Mermaid kind of propped it back up right. that, in the late 80s. So, And uh, as Adam kind of touched on, the, the actual system they used for making this film is actually quite fascinating. There was a lot that went into this. First, they basically filmed all the live action stuff against a black background in black and white. Actually, it wasn't even black and white. Uh, they filmed it in color, but all of the costumes and every all the props were already in black and white. Then they took the film, took all of the cells, and con- and took photos in black and white of the cells, of the film cells, took the cells, and then backlit animated the lights that were on it. 
Uh-huh. And so, and there was, and there was actually some actual traditional hand-drawn animation that was also done. So essentially, the simplistic way of putting it is, they filmed it in black and white, and then drew in the colors. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All in uh, post. It's kind of a classic way to do some of that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, but in a lot of the stuff, it hadn't been done like that before. Especially with the, because it wasn't just like hand-drawn animation on top. It was this backlighting system that they were using to, hmm. to produce these really okay. fluorescent colors. And they definitely, you get a lot of that here. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, they were doing things completely new ways. Yeah. Uh, this film stars Jeff Bridges as Flynn and slash Clue, uh, his program avatar. You know Jeff Bridges as the dude and a hundred different things. Mm-hmm. Bruce Boxleitner, uh, he played Alan Bradley slash Tron, the namesake of the movie, and you know him from Babylon 5, as we mentioned before. David Warner played our villain Dillinger slash Stark was his program avatar, uh, and he also did the voice for the Master Control program. I best recognize him, well, actually it was his voice that caught me. Uh, I, he played the villain Herbert Landon in the Spider-Man animated series. I intend to use the research you began to destroy all mutants. Mm. Uh, who was kind of like this pretentious kind of guy who became like a monster at some point, and then he kind of became human again, and he kind of had this half-monstery looking face. Um, and if you if you saw him, you'd probably recognize him from the Spider-Man animated show. Cindy Morgan played Laura slash Yori, uh, and she is best known as Lacey Underall in the movie Caddyshack. Oh. <laughs> if you remember that one, she was kind of like the, the blonde bombshell in that movie that... Um, Chevy Chase is going after. I'm uh, I'm gonna drop a bombshell on you at a. I've never seen <gasps> Caddyshack. Not once. Nope. In your life. Nope. Never appealed wow. to me. Well, I'll save. I watched it a few weeks ago, and I'll save my review for if we ever do it on this show. How about that? Okay. <laughs> All that anticipation for everybody. <laughs> uh, okay. Bernard Hughes plays Doctor Gibbs uh, slash the guy who started the company that like all these people work for and also Dumont in the program um, is his program counterpart. And then Peter Jurassic plays Crom, uh, who is this kind of uh, other program who ends up losing to uh, Jeff Bridges kind of later. But uh, and we know him from Babylon 5, as we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. OK. All right, we start off at a video game arcade called Flynn's, uh, and we see someone starts up this game called Light Cycles, and we kind of go inside the game to see these two people actually riding the cycles or driving the cycles, so we're kind of like getting a world inside the world of the game, if you will, um, that they that their programs or that they're, you know, different computer animated or com- their their computer stuff is all kind of done as a, as a world in its own. Mm-hmm. But I do like that we start off immediately and see the Light Cycles game because, to me, Tron is Light Cycles. Like, that is the first thing I think of when I even, like, hear the word Tron. Right. I think of that Light Cycles game, even though there's not all that much of it in the show, in the movie. Right. You know, it's, like, got this and then one more scene. Uh, but, like, that is, to me, just a mainstay with Tron. And, it, and it's uh, it's a cool game. Really, it's pretty much like like you're playing Snake. Yeah, uh, but you have like two different people playing Snake, and you have to try and out maneuver them so they crash into you or their own tails. Did basically. you play the arcade game a lot? I did not. Was there the actual Tron yeah, arcade game? Ar- yeah, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I ever played it in my life. I did play it. Um, 
a little bit. We mentioned before uh, in the town, small town we kind of initially grew up in, there was a skating rink which we went to a lot because there was not much else to do in that town. Um, and they had a small arcade and they had Tron. Mm, okay. And the light cycles was definitely my favorite part of the game to play. That makes sense. It is. It's cool. Yeah. Um, so we're still in the game and we see like these different quote unquote programs. Programs are people. Uh, and Master Control is apparently capturing them, uh, specifically the ones that are blue. Uh, and they believe in these users, which you know is apparently like a like a godlike thing to them. The users, the, the, the you, these users are creators, if you will. Um, meanwhile, in the real world, we actually even get a title that says "Meanwhile in the Real World." <laughs> uh, we meet Flynn. He's a computer programmer. Uh, he apparently wrote this program called Clue, which we see, uh, you know, inside. You know, kind of like the world of the computers is him, um, and he's hunting for some missing data, apparently. Uh, and, you know, clues in like this tank thing, and these kind of crane grabbers or whatever are chasing him. And to me, they, those are also kind of iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've seen those a hundred times, and I, I, I see them, and I immediately think of Tron as well. Yeah. Clue ends up getting captured by by the crane thing and taken to Master Control, who, who tortures him, and when he doesn't talk, kills this program kind of disintegrates him we cut to back to the real world and we we meet dillinger who is like the apparently this big boss uh kind of compute at this company of this computer programmers uh apparently he's the person who wrote master control or at least kind of like you know yeah who wrote master control or runs it or whatever um and master control is like just this big program that's it's just taking over everything it's to me it's it's very much an allegory for authoritarianism is that i don't even know what i'm saying sure. really but like yeah i get you like dictatorships as well you know that kind of thing of like you have to believe what we believe and you have to do what we say all the times you know but maybe i i think it's just kind of like you know it talks about you know you know you shouldn't have your own free will or you shouldn't believe in what we're not wanting you to believe in which is these users but typically they don't want people to these programs to believe in the users because one it's apparently true but also you know they're just trying to control everything and this master control program is there you know as a dictator really yeah we also meet alan who's played by box lightner uh he apparently he works for dillinger and he's you know in this another like kind of big time computer programmer he apparently has written the tron program which he kind of talks about which uh, is really cool i mean one I, I do find it interesting that tron is the name of like honestly he's kind of a he's a side character he's not even like the main hero right. of the movie right Flynn's the main hero Tron is you know yes he's a character and he does end up saving stuff down the line but like he's not the character that Flynn wrote he's this program that Alan wrote but it's also established that Flynn is like this master best computer programmer so right. I do find it interesting that Alan wrote the program <laughs> that gets the name of the movie yeah I just. It's kind of strange to me. It, it is a little odd, but I don't know. I think it works. It works also, I mean, because Tron is the one that ultimately ends up saving things at the end. Right. But it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of kind of funny how it works out. We also see this other team at that company that's working to digitize real life stuff into, you know, the computer world. And they digitize an orange. Oh, cool. <laughs> basically, though, I mean, it's kind of, they're kind of even talking about it. It's basically like teleportation. Uh, they just invented right. uh, where they turn an orange and, and then teleport it or you know, can kind of take it digital and then put it. It's, it's, it's pretty much a ripoff of the scene in Willy Wonka where Mike TV gets oh, yeah. kind of put into the TV. And then now granted he gets when he comes back into real life, he's uh, miniature size. But I think I think they ripped off 
Charlie and Chocolate Factory for sure. <laughs> there we meet Laura uh, with Alan kind of comes down and they kind of talk about, you know, this person who's been hacking. They kind of decide, they realize that it's Flynn, someone who apparently also used to work there and got fired at some point because he's kind of a, he's kind of a rebel, John. <laughs> he's that rebel hacker. You know, you've always got one in every company. You got the rebel hacker who's uh, going to do, do things their own way. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> okay. I think every company's got them. Um, <laughs> Are you that rebel, Adam? I like to think I am. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm actually pretty much a good boy <laughs> when I'm at work. But, you know, I like to I, I like to pretend I have the mind of a rebel. Uh, so they end up going to Flynn's arcade, uh, and they see him. He's playing a game that looks exactly like when his program Clue kind of encountered that crane thing earlier. Uh, just kind of interesting. Um, and Flynn basically tells them that he's been trying to hack you know, into, you know, that system because he wants to prove that Dillinger is a fraud and he plagiarized this code that he had and plagiarized this game that he made or something. Um, And so they all want to work together to bring Dillinger down. You know, they sneak into the building simultaneously. Dillinger is speaking with Master Control. So apparently the program that he wrote, this Master Control one, is its own AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he is talking to it, trying to like, you know, they're, they're, plotting together right kind of strange basically the ai is grown beyond his control and it's like decided now nah, fuck this man i'm not here just to take over this system yeah i'm gonna take over the pentagon and the kremlin and all this shit too um, because i can run shit better than humans just like how we're doing nowadays john's robots and ai are, are getting into more and more things and they're just gonna realize that they can do shit more efficiently than we can and so we're all fucked in the <laughs> next couple years just in case you were curious I think we're all fucked. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't know of that. <laughs> you don't think so? No, I didn't say I didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. You're just you're just being uh, a little bit, you know, quieter. I'm not going to go quietly into that night, John. I'm going to kick and scream when the robots <laughs> pull me from my bed and put me into the matrix, and I'm going <laughs> to die and be a battery for them, um, just in case. You know, you'll 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 go quietly though, I guess. <laughs> as uh, as long as I get to eat steak, I will happily yeah. welcome our robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> but is it? Are you really eating steak, uh, Mr. Cyrus? Who the fuck cares? Who cares? <laughs> if it tastes like steak, what do I care? You're gonna betray all of us, okay? You know the resistance, and you're gonna <laughs> fucking betray us just so you can eat your fake steak. And fuck you, okay? Anyway, moving on. This is a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. While Flynn is trying to hack the system from you know within there because they've broken in, uh, Master Control sees what he's doing, and ends up... He just happens to be perfectly set behind the laser that we saw digitized in orange earlier. And so Master Control turns it on, and he gets digitized into the system. While he's in there, he gets captured and put into these cells uh, where we saw this other guy, Ram and Tron, earlier. You know, they they just kind of, you know, Mr. Control captures them and then he makes them play games to, basically until they will eventually die. 
that's 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 his master plan as opposed to just killing them on the spot <laughs> right i was about to that's say it's not a very good plan because <laughs> it's not like he's watching the games for amusement or anything right he's just like you'll just play video games <laughs> that's my evil plan like well, that's just pretty fucking dumb master control <laughs> anyway speaking of video games so the the director purposely had arcade games set up around the production so that in between takes and stuff the actors and the crew could go and play video games to kind of i, I think it was more for inspiration but what yeah. it, in fact the director would do it a little bit too but what it led to sometimes where where okay we're ready for the shot i'm still finishing wait wait one second yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh no doubt <laughs> I, I would totally abuse that power if i were if I were there, I like that though. That's good. Cool. I think that's good inspiration. I mean, for for a creative team, mm-hmm. you know, doing stuff that is creative, I think makes sense. So that's why I think you know, if you work for a video company or something like having those kind of inspirations, having video games around, or like being able to watch YouTube for some stuff, you know, it gives you ideas of oh, I like that. I want to try and make a video like that. Yeah, and helps boost your stuff as opposed to doing the same shit over and over again. So, yeah. That's when, when Adam runs a big old video company. He's okay with everybody watching things all the time. Sweet. As long as they when, do their work. You, yeah. I'll come work for you. Shit. Yeah, exactly. I'm a good boss. All right, so we see Tron in action right here. He's playing a game where he's, like, throwing discs, and he's just being a badass. Uh, so he's kind of got, like, this Frisbee thing. Apparently it holds his data or whatever. It doesn't, whatever. But he takes it, and he throws it at people, and he kills them, and it's just kind of fun. It, it looks cool. <laughs> they send Flynn into a game, and he battles Krom, who's this other kind of guy, because he's not a bad guy by any means. Right. Um, he's just he's another one like Flynn or like Tron or like Ram or whatever, but now Master Control's like, hey, fuck it, make them fight each other. Uh, and so Flynn has to play him, and they're, they have like these sweet-ass like highlight uh, looking kind of yeah. handheld things, uh, and they have to like take like their little light ball and bounce it off. The, it's almost like a... Like a thing of like racquetball as well or you yeah. have to bounce it off the front of the top and then if it hits this target area uh it will remove that part of the floor you know you kind of keep removing it until your other until that other person has no place to stand and they fall to their death yeah but you know flynn kind of figures it out and he ends up getting in the lead and crom's like you know holding on to the edge for dear life and Fl- and master control or stark whatever wants him to finish him finish the game no kill him Uh, no and he's like no i won't do it i'm not gonna be evil like you uh and then stark just ends up removing it and the guy falls to his death and that's that or it's a program it's a program it gets deleted whatever it's not a real person it's it's zeros and ones people then uh we see a three versus three light cycle match with uh tron flynn and ram are all on the same team and they're light cycling around and this is a this is a cool scene this is probably the best scene in the entire movie Mm -hmm. when you you know when you think like the action scenes in here this is the you know epitome of like what the cool light cycle scene is right and so they're jumping around, and then they, at one point, uh, they crash one of the other programs into a wall, and it opens like a crack into the wall, and they all end up escaping into it, um, dramatic in dramatic fashion, <laughs> but it's good. And then at some point, cranes chase them, and they get away, and then these tanks chase them, and they get away. Then they had this weird scene. I, I never really understood. They never really discussed what that water stuff was that they're drinking, because mm-hmm. they get to like this area where they just see like this, you know, kind of bluish 
liquid and they all start drinking it and they just get recharged. It's like it's like it's like it's battery acid or something. <laughs> Not better. I have no idea what the fuck it was supposed to be, but they were drinking and feeling really good. <laughs> my friends, my fellow conscripts, we have scored. I feel so much better. Yeah, and I have no clue what it's supposed to be. Did, did you have any idea? It was just some sort of power source. Some sort of power source. But I guess, you know, inside our computers and our phones, um, little programs are drinking. Uh, we have little rivers of this stuff, and that's what they're drinking to, to stay powered up, in case you were curious, John. Okay. So as they're trying to get to Master Control Program, Tron ends up getting separated uh, because these tanks, you know, shoot them as while they are driving uh, in their cycles. And Finn and Ram, they have to go hide. Uh, and Tron kind of ends up having to go off on his own. They hide into like this broken crane construct at some point, and Flynn kind of realizes here that he's got the ability to control it. And mm-hmm. so he kind of like uses his user power. He kind of brings this crane, kind of reassembles it because he's awesome. He knows how to utilize the program to his own whatever because he's a user. <laughs> um, but Ram, the other guy, kind of dies from his previous tank blasting injury. Ram. Ram. And we're all sad, but not really because it's all just zeros and one. Um, <laughs> Tron sneaks onto the main ship where he finds Yori, a.k.a. Laura, kind of in the real world, her construct or her program equivalent, which I have no idea why some, I, my assumption of like, you know, who, what you looked like in the computer world was basically based off who was your original user, um, you know, who created you. Right. And that's why Stark slash Master Control are like Dillinger and, you know, Clue, etc. and Tron, etc. Um, but I guess, so I assume maybe uh, Laura created this one, but I don't know. It didn't it, that, that doesn't make too much sense to me either because she was, you know, she was too busy digitizing oranges <laughs> right. to be whatever. But whatever. Um, well, but uh, maybe it's a know, program she wrote before she began digitizing oranges. Could be. Let's go with that. Okay. But don't you think like it's also like does one programmer, computer programmer in that company only just write one program? Like don't you think there'd be a good person who's like writing the same thing and they'd be have like just tons of the same people all over in this world? I don't know. You, you can't. <laughs> this is the kind of shit I think you, about, you, John. <laughs> you got to keep it simple for a movie, Adam. No, John. You have to dive into the world of the movie, and you have to ask questions yeah, about it. But l- literally, Flynn did dive into the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, true. He dove into the computer. But like you know, I'm I I get you know I get entrenched into the mise en scène in the world of the film, <laughs> and I want to. That's such a fucking pretentious thing to say. Yeah, well, I want to know everything about it, and I question it, and it makes sense, and I want to, I want it to make sense. Okay. All right. <laughs> So Tron and Laura and Yori end up uh, heading out and they can kind of continuing his mission. Flynn kind of ends up crashing his way uh, into the main or the, into the master control program area. He kind of beats up uh, this other program and kind of sees that he can steal their red color, which kind of helps him sneak around a little bit better. Tron and Yori go to this input output control area where this kind of guardian Dumont, who is the old guy that we saw earlier, who kind of like, you know, was the first computer programmer who kind of created this company out of his garage. He's the Bill Gates of this 
company, really. Or the Wozniaki or whatever. <laughs> right. That, maybe it's those kind of guys. And so uh, they want to go to this area so that way Tron can contact his user because he needs to get this certain data, uh, this information on how to beat the MCP, as they call it, or Master Control Program. So this guy is, you know, apparently a good dude, and they he lets them walk past, uh, and Tron gets the data he needs. Hooray. Tron and Yori, you know, head to the Master Control Program and in this weird kite thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that ship was, but it looked like it was like being propelled like a like it was a so i think they called it like a solar sailor or something like that yeah solar sailor that sounds that's, that's kind of what it looked like but uh stark on his big ship uh, is following them uh and flynn apparently got aboard on the solar sailor uh with them so they're kind of all back together before they end up escaping we see that you know there are cranes that are coming after the sailor thing and the master control program shoots like this surge as well at them at one point, uh, which they manage to evade with uh, Flynn's help of being a user. He kind of creates an extra new path for them to go because because user, <laughs> he can do whatever. Pretty much, he can do whatever the fuck he wants in this world. Right. And you know, we're getting close to the master control program, and Stark's ship uh, is kind of still with them, and he ends up attacking them. And it looks like Tron was killed in the process. Uh, and Flynn and Yori are captured. But luckily, Tron wasn't killed. Aha! Aha! (laughs) Uh, So he's sneaking around the ship at this point. And Stark takes Dumont to the Master Control program because, you know, Stark knows that Dumont helped these people, and so he's going to give him to Master Control because Master Control wants to take all these other old programs that are around and absorb them or some shit like that to become stronger or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) And... all of this is kind of while the ship is being uh, derezzed. So basically Stark's pro- plan was because Yori and Flynn were captured. He kept them on his big ship. He's gone over to the Master Control Program. And he's like, ah, I'm going to destroy my entire ship just so it destroys the two of you. Why he didn't like just shoot them with a you know digital gun or whatever and destroy them or destroy them in a torture rack like he did Clue earlier, I don't know. Uh, but he wanted to, he wanted to derez his entire fucking ship basically just to get them. I don't know the the, the <laughs> ideas of these people. Like I would be a much better villain than like ninety percent of fucking movie villains, John. I just just fucking shoot him in the head and move on. <laughs> like don't don't give him this elaborate thing that they can escape from. Just fucking shoot him in the head and then continue doing your thing. God damn it! And that's why your box office numbers would be so low. <laughs> <laughs> no, John. I'd be believable. People would like me as a villain, as shooting people. I don't know. But uh, we also see that Tron snuck aboard this transport ship that Stark, a.k.a. Dillinger, whatever program, took to go see uh, the Master Control program. And we meet the Master Control program who, if anybody hasn't seen this movie, uh, and I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Uh, this uh, We didn't actually talk about that earlier, but... I, I saw Tron like once when I was younger. Uh, maybe I, maybe it wasn't even until like college or something where I probably had to watch it just for, for like, you know, its effect on mm-hmm. uh, movie making and whatnot. And so I kind of forgot what Master Control looks like. If anybody's a fan of South Park like I am, <laughs> if you know if you know Moses, uh, they made Moses like this kind of like a pure uh, prism kind of thing and he just goes around i require i require macaroni pictures <laughs> and then other stupid little shit like that it's a fantastic episode uh, it's called jubilee it's a great episode i just know that off the top of my head because i fucking love south park <laughs> but they obviously designed moses after the master control program in tron and i find it quite funny <laughs> because it looks just ridiculous um but john how did 
you know, have you seen, when was the last time you saw Tron? Actually, probably about four or five years ago. I used to, I used to show it when I did my, uh, my film appreciation class when I taught at the high school. Okay. I, so yeah. So I mean, it's not, not too long ago. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, did, was this one that you loved when you were a kid? No, actually, um, this is one, I didn't watch it so much. When I was a kid, I think it was like you. It wasn't until I was in college where I really first saw it. Okay. I played the game in the arcade a lot. Yeah, so you have that. But I didn't see the movie. Anyway, uh, Tron and Stark end up battling kind of outside in this area where the Master Control program is. And they're using like their their little discs and they're fighting all while Master Control program is trying to integrate Dumont and these other older programs to become more powerful, as I mentioned. So the MCP... Uh, then empowers Stark uh, to make him grow. Basically, he's like Rita Repulsa from Power Rangers who like throws down her fucking staff. You know, I make you grow. Uh, do you remember that, John? No. Do you remember watching I don't remember that. She did that. Well, he didn't. He basically, I mean, he made Stark grow, but it, I, that anytime somebody like does like that and he says, I'll empower you with my whatever and Stark ends up kind of like growing up it just reminds me so much of Rita Repulsa from from Power Rangers it's just just ridiculous and so Stark gets really big and whatever and they kind of continue their battle Flynn apparently feels that he needs to jump into this beam that's going into the master control program to help Tron uh you know and use his user powers or whatever and he and Yori have this kiss it makes no goddamn sense why they have this kiss. I just, I felt it was unnecessary. There was this whole kind of side storyline where Alan, I think it's Alan and Laura are dating now, or maybe they're married. I don't know. They're probably dating, but apparently Flynn and her dated a long time ago and that didn't work out. It's just unnecessary. Can't they just be three fucking programmers? Like why do they have to have this love triangle thing? It, it adds nothing to the movie. Right. I agree. Yeah. But anyway, so Flynn kisses a computer program, uh, and, you know, pretty passionately, whatever. And then he jumps in uh, and is able to shut down Master Control Program, which depowers Stark um, and the MCP explodes. Now all these things start lighting up and the whole system is getting kind of revamped and it's it's revitalized and things are better. And then Yori kisses Tron. It's like, oh, what? Wait, which program do you like? Do you like Flynn or do you like Tron or what the fuck's going on? Again, the romantic element is so unnecessary and it's really not used at all. It's just weird. Whatever. The entire system is now saved. Uh, Flynn gets undigitized back into his regular form. You know, once he's kind of back in the real world, he's got this plagiarism info, you know, uh, with him right now is basically just a couple things written on a printout. Right. <laughs> like to me, that proves nothing. Right. But apparently, <laughs> apparently, apparently to him, this proves that Dillinger plagiarized everything. And basically Dillinger also sees that he's fucked. Uh, but he's got this sweet ass whole desk table monitor like computer monitor that's like kind of touchscreen stuff like that desk is pretty awesome it's bomb man (laughs) like that's the kind of shit that we really they need to be pushing more in this real world we need to have big ass computer touchscreen desks because it looked really cool yeah we crossfade, you know, he anyway, so he's realizing that he's fucked. We crossfade to Alan and Laura uh, on the top of this building, and apparently Flynn is flying in uh, on a helicopter because he's now apparently the boss of the company. Somehow he kind of came in and is, you know, now he's the boss, whatever. And we end on a shot of 
a cityscape uh, and then the, the lights are all kind of moving. It's a time, it's a time-lapse video, obviously mm-hmm. of things moving very quickly um, that kind of mimics how the digital world looked from we saw earlier. And really, John, the real world and the digital world are one in the same amount now more so than ever, I would say. Right. And then while the credits roll, uh, we get a kind of a solid song playing. It's a really good band that did the song. It's uh, the song is only solutions by journey. Ah, okay. Uh, and I plowed through <laughs> that. There, there's not a bunch of tons of good plot in this film. You're just kind of like moving stuff forward. It's hey, we're being chased, or hey, I'm riding a light cycle, or right. hey, you know, we gotta escape and keep moving to find this stuff. And you know, I just I just kind of wanted to to move it pretty quickly. Uh, I'll let me go ahead and say my sure. thoughts, and then you can you can dive in. Uh, I respect this film, especially for what it did for the growth of the industry and for visual effects and computer animation in general. It pushed boundaries for CGI, green screen, and a whole lot more. Mm. And I would say, I partly think nowadays, in my little, little, let me get a little soapbox, I feel like we've gone too far with CGI. Mm. Or at least not, we haven't gone too far with the quality and what it's capable of, but we've gone too far with our dependence on CGI. Right. I would love for us as an entire industry to step back and relook at the world of models and robotics and how when you take that and then enhance that with CGI, that's where I feel we had our best looking stuff. Okay. You get like a Jurassic Park or you get like something like um, Starship Troopers. Right. That movie looks fucking beautiful. Other than the the big brain bug, the brain bug looks fucking awful, <laughs> but the actual like models and, and of, that they did of like the big like their xenomorphy or right. whatever like the the regular drone bugs right. those cuz they they were both a mix of cgi and uh, model kind of things right. and they look awesome to to me today to me they look better than a lot of stuff like jurassic world is doing right so anyway i would love to see a step back and but this movie helped us get into where cgi is quality, but I just kind of I want to rate it back. That's that's anyway. That's my uh, soapbox tirade yeah. on that. One one thing that is was particularly interesting that I didn't really mention earlier because the technology didn't exist to like combine computer animation with live action at the time. They kind of had to kind of do a whole bunch of different stuff with with these computers. And what is particularly interesting to me is the computer that they used and they had to kind of like, you know, create stuff for it only had two megabytes of memory and it had no more than 330 megabytes of full storage. So because of that, they had they were very limited in their computer usage and they had to basically black out the backgrounds. There was a lot. This movie was dark in the backgrounds. There wasn't a lot of detail. Right. Um, because like their computers were, you know, were at the time were very low, you know, low quality. And now our phones are more powerful than the phone. Our phones are more powerful than the computers that, you know, created Tron, the right. movie, and also sent sent people to the moon. Right. You know, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> I Why can't my phone send me to the moon is what I'm asking you, John. What would you do there? Everything, John. <laughs> I would do I would do fucking everything. I would just probably jump around in the low gravity for like 20 straight hours and be happy as shit. <laughs> like, I think that would be the best thing in the world. But. Anyway, uh, all right, a couple of different tirades, but as a movie, honestly, I find this one to be slow and boring and 
pretty confusing at times, actually. I think they kind of bounce back and forth a little too much, and you don't really fully understand what the fuck Flynn and Tron are doing for part of it. It was certainly confusing when I was younger. I remember not liking Tron. When I was younger, like it's just for when I either saw it, maybe it was college or earlier, whenever it was. But I'm I'm better able to follow what was going on now. But still, I feel it just moves at a staggeringly slow pace to me. I never really cared for the design of the world and mm-hmm. the, the look of their costumes and things like that. But I respect this film. Mm-hmm. I do. I cannot say I enjoyed watching this film, but I respect it. That's that's my two cents on it. Okay. Uh, largely, Adam, I have pretty much the same thought as you do. I have a lot of respect for this film. Um, it did not make a, necessarily a big splash when it first came out. I think it was one of those things that sort of became a cult following. And then what it did for film is sort of what made it famous. I remember the very first time watching this being bored as shit. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And this. it's only been with subsequent viewings where I've kind of been able to enjoy it a little bit more. But it's still not a hugely great film. No, I'd say the storytelling is just kind of, you know, slow and the pacing and all that kind of stuff. The, you know, it's just really, it's it's graphics is what this movie is really long. Well, I mean, for. essentially, it's it's a movie made by animators for the sake of the animation. That's not to say that, the, that it's not a good idea. I think mm-hmm. it's a, a very interesting idea. Oh, yeah. Um, and they laid the groundwork for, you know, what could be a very interesting story. And I know we're not really in the in the process of talking about more recent films, even though it's not terribly recent. But I know the, the, the sequel, uh, Tron Legacy, mm-hmm. got a lot of shit. I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. Mm. I really didn't think it was all that bad. I didn't think it was... It's not Oscar quality, but I enjoyed the world that they built there. I enjoyed the the graphics for the most part. Um, I thought some of the de-aging stuff was a little too much. Mm-hmm. That also is something that's kind of bothered me is the, oh, hey, we're going to make someone look like they were 20 years ago. I, I don't need that. Literally, my only complaint with the movie Rogue One were the two scenes with Leia and yeah. Grand Moff Tarkin. I didn't need to see that. Yeah. Um, and it just, it took me out of that world because it, it was obviously graphics you know if you just shown me leah from leah from behind and i heard her voice all, yeah i didn't need to see her face yeah honestly i don't even know if you needed her voice but yeah you're right just see her where she's kind of like you know fuzzy in the foreground and you see the back of her head and you're just like oh shit it's leia baby and then yeah. you know and then they cut to the oh you see her and it's like oh oh that's cg baby <laughs> <laughs> But sort of getting kind of getting back to Tron, I have the same pretty much thought as you. I respect it for what it is. I don't go out of my way to watch it. So, I, yeah. but that being said, more I think the more times I've watched it, the more I understand and it makes sense. That doesn't necessarily mean I mm-hmm. I think it's any better than it was. I think I just understand it a little bit better. I agree. So. Uh, I think the one thing that I would be interested in this film is. You know, once we get more virtual reality mm-hmm. in our homes with gaming systems, even more than, you know, what we've got now, I would probably enjoy doing like a Tron-esque decathlon kind of thing where you're, you know, you're fully immersed in that world and you're playing light cycles and the highlight kind of oh, fucking shit. thing. And, Man, and you and, the you and I would be playing the hell out of that highlight game. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So get on that, people. If we can create that world in uh, virtual reality and play it online with each other, that would be bomb as hell. All right, that's that's our review of Tron. All right, now we are talking Babylon Fumpf, Babylon Sank, Babylon Cinco, 
Cinco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty much all I know for, uh, <laughs> to say Babylon 5. Uh, this show ran from 1994 to 1998. It had five seasons, a total of 110 episodes. It was created by writer and producer J. Michael Straczynski. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, He wrote the story for Thor, the screen story for World War Z, and a couple different other things, too. But Babylon 5 is probably his biggest thing. He also used to be a writer on Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So he's got, yeah, he's got uh, plenty of... He's got sci-fi credit. Sci-fi, yeah. Yep. This show had a huge cast... Um, and I'm going to kind of talk about all the people that we will be casting in, you know, in, mm-hmm. in our next coming, in our upcoming segment. Uh, but like, I'm just, just, I'll do a quick brief overview of them. Actually, who we're not going to cast, but who was like the star of season one was Michael O'Hare as Commander Jeffrey Sinclair. Mm-hmm. He was the first commander of Babylon 5, but later assigned to Earth's uh, ambassador. He was assigned to be Earth's ambassador uh, for Mint to Minbar. So he gets, go, ends up being kind of sent away. Well, and the the reason that he left, so he was only there for season one, and then he basically had to leave the show. And it was not necess- it wasn't because of his acting, but I rather enjoyed his character um, from season mm-hmm. one. But the uh, the pro- the problem was he actually he suffered terribly from a mental illness, and the mental oh. the mental illness became a hindrance during shooting, and so. Even though uh, Stravinsky, or Stravinsky, <laughs> yeah. uh, not the classical composer, Straczynski, no. uh, even though Straczynski loved him, um, they just it, it wasn't working out. So they basically he just found a way to write him out of the show without necessarily killing him in hopes of maybe someday bringing him back. And they did for a few extra episodes here and there. Um, but basically it was his health reasons why he had to leave the show. Okay. All right, that's valid. But the uh, the new kind of main protagonist uh, was Bruce Boxleitner. He was he played Captain John Sheridan, and that was from seasons two to five. Uh, and he was uh, Sinclair's replacement on Babylon Five after his reassignment. Claudia Christian played Lieutenant Commander Susan Ivanova. 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 Sorry, uh, she was second in command, and Jerry Doyle played. Michael Garibaldi, uh, he was on all the seasons, and he was the chief of station security. Mm-hmm. Mira Furlan played Delen. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Delen. If you were a, if you were a fan of the TV show Lost, she was also on Lost. Oh, okay. All right. I cool. forget. I didn't watch Lost. I don't remember what she played. I just remember. Uh, I remember watching in on my wife watching that show and I go, "Holy shit! It's Delenn." Okay. Uh, and she was the Minbari ambassador to Babylon Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, in like in season two, she becomes part human. Yes. At some point, and like she kind of starts growing hair. And honestly, that looked kind of weird. And particularly for me, because I watched like the first two episodes of Babylon Five, and then I skipped to season three, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> you look really fucking weird." And so I had to had to look up what the hell happened to her in, in order to to i guess become closer with the humans she went through this basically like cocoon like process okay. um or like chrysalis process where she basically changed mm-hmm. her her genetics mostly i think it was because mira furlan hated having to wear she had so much hair she hated having to wear the bald cap uh, <laughs> i think they just i think sense. they found a way of like all right well we'll we'll find a way to change it and so they did <laughs> all right uh, so Richard Biggs plays Dr. Stephen Franklin, and he is the chief medical officer. Bill Mummy uh, plays Lenier or Lenier? Lanier. Lanier. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know what? You know what? Whatever. I don't know the pronunciations, and I only listened to or watched a couple episodes, but That's fine. he's the diplomatic aide to the Mimbari ambassador, Delenn. Uh, he was uh, Will Robinson in the old show Lost in Space. Yes. So that's kind of cool. So he's got some sci-fi cred as well. Yep. Jason Carter plays Marcus Cole, uh, who is apparently like this ranger. I don't know, some fighter guy. I, and I don't really know because I didn't watch any episodes with him. <laughs> okay. So, so I have no idea. Marcus comes in. I forget if it's season two or three that he comes in. I think it's three. He he comes in basically the Mimbari and humor. Actually, mostly it's the Mimbari, but they have humans in there. They create these things called the Rangers. Sort of think like the Rangers from Lord of the Rings. You know, they're they're designed to mm. be. They're trained to be fighters, but to keep the peace. Essentially, mm-hmm. is what they are. So so he's a badass. Yeah, he he is a badass. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think. My wife sees him as he was introduced as like the eye candy, because <laughs> he's definitely my wife's favorite character on the show. Ah, I um, see. And he's actually a very, very cool character. Uh, we part of the reason why I put this on the schedule is we recently binge watched the entire series. Okay, all right, hold on. Let me let me get through these two characters, and then I want to talk about that okay. because this is definitely your show. Um, and then there were two kind of they always seem to be bickering ambassadors. Right. Uh, one was Jakar, played by Andreas Katsoulis, um, and he was the Narn, kind of like a I don't know lizardy kind of looking guy or something. He yeah. he the one in like the heavy prosthetics. Uh, and then Peter Jurassic played Londo, who was the Centuri ambassador. And they those two races hated each other. Andreas Consulis uh, would probably be better known to uh, everyone if you saw the movie uh, The Fugitive. Because he plays the one-armed man. Oh, okay, cool. He's the one-armed man in there. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. <laughs> Which is, you know, not even that movie, but right. Ace Ventura <laughs> right. ripping on that movie. But okay. Referencing All right. That, so yeah. those are the main people. And there's, you know, none of them were, are huge names, um, you know, right. in acting, but they're all pretty decent people. Let's talk about, yeah, Babylon 5 when we were younger. I didn't watch Babylon 5 at all. I I, I was I knew of it mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it was a pretty popular show, but isn't one that I watched at all. So what is, you know, your nostalgic value for Babylon 5? So I was I was introduced to Babylon 5 I think initially by one of my friends in high school, my friend Alex, uh, who would watch the show pretty regularly. I, remember, I think I remember like his whole family was kind of big into watching sci-fi, so they, they watched a lot of series together. And this, this was one where he, I remember he introduced me to him. Um, and I think actually I remember watching and the first episode that I ever watched, I think, was one with Marcus in it because that was the character that stuck in my brain. Mm. And then I kind of forgot about the show for a while until I met my wife and we started dating. And then she talked about her love for the show. We're in college and we moved in together. Uh, we bought like the entire series on on uh, DVD and then you know binge watched it. Um, I don't know about how you did it, but when I was in when I was in college, we didn't have cable. We just bought DVD. We bought a lot of used DVDs at Blockbuster, and that was our media entertainment. That and video games. Yeah, it's about the same. Um, I lived on campus for the first three years, right? Which had cable included, right? Yeah, it had cable included. So. So I would watch I would watch like GSN all the damn time like that was like my go to right. station. But I did own a lot of that's where I started collecting DVDs was in college because you know it's all you know you couldn't stream whatever and so right. I started I wanted to watch like Scrubs or whatever from the beginning so I was like well I'll start I'll start buying that or South Park or whatever just to, and I and I ended up watching a lot of DVDs when I was younger for sure because of that and having movies and and now I have a great little collection. Yeah. I hope it keeps growing. <laughs> Babylon 5 itself, 
Uh, it was this whole space station where humans and aliens were kind of meant to come together and try to achieve peace in the universe. It's like this last uh, attempt at these stations that would try to uh, exactly try to be a, a place where like pretty much like the UN kind of thing, but like, you know, the UN building, but out in space. Right. If you will. Yeah. And it's apparently the year 2258. Uh, and it's 10 years after this Earth Mumbari war. And apparently that the uh, the, the station, the Babylon 5 station is like this five mile long, big ass thing uh, orbiting a neutral planet. Uh, basically where everybody comes in to, to try to act diplomatic. Right. But I think hijinks are going to ensue, John. Yeah. And they do. And they do. Um, Really, the style of the show that I noticed it was very soap opera like. It, to me, it felt like a soap opera, but happened to be set in the space world. And, and I don't mean soap opera like you know someone would come in like I'm your evil clone <laughs> or I'm your evil twin brother right. with a goatee or you know oh my god who's the father of my baby um, or you know any of that kind of shit. But it just the feel of it felt very soap opera because there was a lot of there's multiple different storylines going on right. from multiple different characters tons of and they and you were kind of you would intercut little you know just little segments of each storyline kind of moving forward every episode kind of went into the other and storylines would kind of continue on and it wasn't right. it wasn't like a lot of other shows where you would finish off everything would fully get wrapped up right. in each episode and know there'd be little events or little stuff that would happen but just like any other soap opera or whatnot you know there would be other bigger things that kind of kept things moving forward um but it just, it just i just had that feel about it but it just you know other little things that kind of i guess felt soap opera to me maybe i don't know the lighting Looked very soap opera-esque to me. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I kind of understand that. I mean, it was the look of it was definitely different than some of the other stuff. Um, yeah. They, they used, uh, they relied heavily on computer graphics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you saw a lot of that. Rather, rather than models for, like, showing the space station and the ships and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like, you would see models on Star Trek. That's mostly what they would do. So they were trying yeah. something different. It did change the look of it. The, the show was actually credited, though, as being the first time that you would see spaceships that actually operated as a ship would actually operate in space. I noticed that, that they, they did move differently. You know, they didn't do, like, a normal stuff. They would just kind of, like, burst somewhere, and then they would kind of keep floating and then, like, twist around or do other stuff where... Right where you watch something like Star Wars and they're just kind of zoom in like jet fighters do on Earth. So that's that one of the things that they were sort of praised for by the scientific community was, oh, they're finally showing actual like Newtonian physics, how an, how a fighter would actually move <laughs> in space or whatever. Yes, we all know that people were craving proper Newtonian physics. <laughs> well, you know, you, sir, who was complaining about real, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> reality here early with sure. Tron should be totally on board with it. Valid. So this, I don't know if this is true or not. I'd heard that I'd heard that rumor so when Straczynski was a writer on the next generation he'd pitched an idea about a show about a space station mm-hmm. they told him no so Straczynski went off to eventually put together the stuff to make Babylon 5 before he could make Babylon 5 guess what came out Deep Space Nine about a space station yeah whether or not that's a coincidence or if they actually stole the idea I would I would believe both stories Gotcha. Yeah, because that, that was a stationary thing, wasn't it? Yes. I, I, I didn't really watch Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine was about a space station, and everyone was on it, so. It, it wasn't about the Enterprise. It was uh, right. just about, okay. It was just about a space station. So whether or not any of that is, is you know, is related is for Ooh, people above drama, my- Drama, baby. People above my pay grade. Yeah. One thing I will say, 
I really did love the characters. One thing that didn't happen so much in Star Trek The Next Generation, which did happen a little bit more in Deep Space Nine, but that was only after sort of Gene Roddenberry like stopped being involved and eventually passed. Uh, Roddenberry didn't like tensions between the, the crew, mm-hmm. so there wasn't a lot of conflict between the crew. It was always the crew versus the alien or whatever it was they were fighting. But this one right out of the gate you know you have these tensions with uh, the two you know londo and jakar who um mm-hmm. the backstory is is that the centauri who is londo's people used to enslave jakar's people and so you know there's already that tension there and so there was a lot of yeah that soap opera stuff yeah which i loved about it because you got all these different characters all these different stories it was not episodic it was a lot of things that all culminated to some big thing mm-hmm. that happened in the you know at the end of the season Season. They really did push the political aspect of, you know, yeah. all these different people being together and what that be. And that does make sense much more for a soap opera style, um, where, you know, because you're getting a lot of dialogue that's that's pushing things forward, um, you know, or getting that's that's what's creating a lot of tension. It's not, oh, my God, you know, which sometimes they had like this kind of thing of like, oh, my God, here's a you know, so-and-so that's going to come attack us more. So it's, you're really doing like the political game uh, with some of these races and shit like that. And that that's what created the drama, which is, you know, a lot of talking and a lot of soap opera stuff, which is uh, different. And right. I can see the appeal of it for sure. But there was action in the show. A lot of, yeah. you know, like starfighter, space fighter action in between. Cause you know, you have a space station, mm-hmm. you got to defend it. I think they came up with some really cool characters. Um, they had one character who was an ambassador named Kosh. It, just the look of him was very interesting. Um, you find out later what he is because all you see is his encounter suit, so you don't actually know what he looks like oh, inside. Is that is that the, like the he was like a light ball for a while, and then I, or I saw I saw what the the first episode he looked like a light ball behind a screen or whatever, and then he got inside this suit thing. Yes, and that's where he could like walk around. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I if you if you have never watched the show, I won't spoil what it is that they actually are because they do reveal it uh, later on in one of the first two or three seasons but i don't know i always thought i liked the look of the encounter suit even though essentially it's this head a shoulder thing and basically what looks like curtains (laughs) hanging around him and that's it (laughs) he's a very interesting character and they had this enemy called the shadows which were done with computer graphics but didn't look too bad Mm -hmm. with what they were doing overall like i i liked yeah, the graphics as well for their time. Right. And what they were, you know, they were solid TV graphics. Right. You know, even when you went to like the full CGI battles, you know, right. it, it looked not good in today's standards, but it looked passable. And especially when you think of it, you know, for a TV budget. Right. They did a good job. Clear enough that you could follow the action and know what's going on. Yes. And it was it, without it taking you out too much of the story. I think the first time I went to re- go back and rewatch the whole series at first, I was like, oh, I don't know, the graphics. But the more and more you watch it, the more you get used to it, the more you just start mm-hmm. to believe these are the starfighters, this is the station, that sort yep. of thing. And, and that's what you need. The uh, I will say, the um, as you talked about with characters, a good part of believable characters is their look. Mm-hmm. And they did a good job with the costumes and the makeup yeah. in, this, in this show, which you have to do for aliens. Yes. I really enjoyed the look of Jakar. You know, I can't. I couldn't imagine having mm-hmm. to get into the makeup. Um, I think Andres Casulas yeah. killed it as that character. Um, which they dive into some really dark and interesting places with that guy. If mm. you get a chance to really dive into the series, there's some really cool stuff that happens. The character of Londo, who uh, essentially is just kind of like a, a jovial asshole, essentially, and they dive into some pretty dark and interesting places with him as well. It's just really cool. It's 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 really hard to to describe. I'm trying to do a better job. Let's see if I can come up with something <laughs> than that. Um, it's a space opera. 
Yeah, yes, space opera. That's definitely it's a space opera. One thing that was that I found was pretty interesting, at least what I looked up on Wikipedia. Apparently, unlike most TV shows at the time, Babylon Five was actually conceived kind of kind of as a quote unquote novel for TV, right? Uh, where it had a defined beginning, middle, and end. Like they were planning to finish it in five years, and they were able to stay on on air for all five years on this story arc. You know that that is kind of unique in a lot of shows you just either have to like wrap it up early or you just kind of keep writing and keep adding in filler shit you know if you end up with a hit that goes on for a while but this one like they were able to do exactly what they wanted the whole show itself ended up with like you know with the franchise you know with the whole media franchise if you will because it started off with a test pilot movie so there was a made for tv movie that kind of started off and then that was successful enough where the network was like all right let's let's move forward with a series on this and so they had the the main show uh and then there were five more made for tv movies that came either i think you know at the end of the show of this show or kind of maybe while they were still going and then it kind of went for a few years past it mm-hmm. uh, but the shows were all kind of like can or the the tv movies were all kind of canon and continued the story uh, and there were multiple novels that were written about babylon 5 as well yeah and a couple attempted spin-offs that really didn't didn't get to end up going anywhere right Th- this show is is definitely a franchise it's not as big as like star wars or star trek but right. it is a very recognizable sci-fi franchise for sure yeah and definitely ripe with opportunity for things like novelization all these extra characters that you get and you learn a little bit about but you know all these backstories that you could add or all these places you could take them mm-hmm. um, that was one of the things i loved about when they started writing novels for star wars mm-hmm. you know all these extra things you get all these cool characters or, or they would take a character you only saw in the movie knew nothing about and gave him this whole backstory go back if anybody wants to go back and listen to our explorers slash uh, uh star wars the next generation star, or star trek. trek the next generation <laughs> slash our star wars like extended universe book uh d- episode right john and i read three books and then kind of cast some of these characters that john is talking about that kind of actually nowadays are kind of slipping their way into canon yeah you know they're not exactly the way that they were from the books but you know someone like a Thrawn or other people are like now starting to find their way because they were so popular in the book series. Right. I don't know. You want to talk uh, overall thoughts on the series? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've kind of got everything I needed to mention about the show. So um, I'll start on this one again because you were you were much more of the fan. I could tell even because you know the pronunciation for certain people <laughs> that, I, that I do not. Uh, so for me, I can absolutely see how sci-fi enthusiasts would gravitate towards this show. It is really kind of like a novel in TV form or like a soap opera for nerds, mm-hmm. you know, the way I, I saw it. Because it is, it dives much more into the political side of things and the actual dialogue that you get is much more important than just action, which it has some action as well. But for me, this is not a show that I am particularly wanting to continue on. I never watched it when I was younger, so I don't have a nostalgic feel for it. Um, I see it and I'm like, okay. Yeah, I can I can get where you're going with this. And if I had a nerd wife who <laughs> wanted to watch it, I would probably watch it and enjoy it. Similarly, how you kind of, right. kind of did when you were dating earlier. But it sounds like it'd be a one hell of a commitment for five seasons. <laughs> and each show is, a, you know, 40 something minutes long. So I can respect it for what it did for nerd, nerd culture. Uh, but I'm I'm not yet in that. I cannot go that far. <laughs> I will be honest with you, Adam. You don't need to watch all five seasons. You just need to watch the first four seasons. The last season you can uh. t- you can leave off the table. <laughs> okay, let's save some time. Yeah.
my actual understanding of of them like finishing what they were doing was I think they actually finished what they wanted to do in four years and then got uh. approved for a fifth season and then just had to keep going. Gotcha. Because there okay. there, there okay. were some pretty important things that kind of ended up in the end of the third and fourth season that really tie up things that happened in the beginning and then the fifth season was just sort of there. <laughs> okay. So gotcha. the first four seasons I think are, are worth the watch. I've already kind of blown the show up. I really do enjoy it, and every time I kind of rewatch, I haven't gone and rewatched the whole series a lot. I've done it a few times, um, but every time I do, I find something new that I enjoyed or didn't notice the first time. And if you kind of if you like going into in depth characters, uh, I really recommend the show. All right, that's pretty straightforward. But uh, yeah, if you want to nerd out with other nerds and super nerd time, watch Babylon Five. <laughs> This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... Hey, kids, watch this! New Better Blocks glow in the dark to give your fun times an exciting spark. Watch how they bend, curve, move, and glow in new cool colors that really show. Just snap on Better Block glow connectors like this and see your Lego blocks in a new light. Cool! Make an everyday castle light up at night and a pirate ship that's glowing with bright. Make a dinosaur that dances and a unicorn that prances. Be a super athlete or commander of a star fleet, a movie star at Halloween, or a shimmering beauty queen. Glow-in-the-dark better blocks are worth a little more, but since my kids got them, they turned their old blocks into brand new toys. Kids, make a sword that glows, a rocket that goes, a sparkling necklace, a dazzling ring, a thousand and one illuminated things. Parents, order the 200-piece glow-in-the-dark better block set today for $24.95. Parents, to order glow-in-the-dark better blocks, call 1-800-441-2400 or send payment for $24.95 plus $4.95 SNH to the address shown. Call 1-800-441-2400 now. No CODs. And now we're going to do our casting of Babylon 5, uh, redone with actors of today. Uh, we're going to do a slew of them. <laughs> yeah, it's, I looked at the list because you were created this list. I was like, holy Christ, we've got a lot of people we have to cast. <laughs> well, that's how much I love the show. I was like, well, you got to have this one. You got to have that one. We got to have that one. So I probably could have cut some of these out, but by the time, by then I was like, yeah, fuck it. I took the approach that I was casting a new TV show as opposed to a movie. Okay. I didn't use like all top tier actors. I used like legitimate TV actors who I think could legitimately be cast in something like this as opposed to, you know, not everybody is, uh, you know, they're not all A-listers. I don't think I have a single real A-lister on, on mine. Okay. So I don't know how you did it. I cast it not necessarily as a movie, but this is something like a high budget eight to ten episode series mm. you find like on netflix or um or okay. amazon prime or something like that so i i did go with some a-listers i actually okay. went with quite a few a-listers actually uh so the characters we're going to be doing are captain john sheridan susan ivanova delenn michael garibaldi londo jakar marcus dr franklin and lanier probably could have left lanier off the list but i i like i like the character of lanier so i put him on there yeah so let's go ahead and start with lanier um, he's the aide okay. to Delenn, who is the ambassador to uh, for the Mimbari. Qu- question for you yes. just about that. Um, because Delenn changed her kind of physiology and became like kind of like part human or whatever, yes. did the rest of her alien race, did that become a topic of discussion? Did yes, they like did. that? Did they dislike that? It, okay. it became an issue in the story. 
Okay. Because she was a high-ranking of like a official for not just an ambassador, but she was like a leader of the entire race. Yeah, she was on sort of like on the council or whatever. Yeah, and if she imagine if she's gonna like become only half that race anymore, uh, then they might drop her in their you know ranks. Yeah, and that's one of the things I loved about the show is it wasn't just something that was glossed over as oh she did this. You know, members of her own race were all of a sudden like, well, now she's becoming too human, and, and it's a and it's a race that you know saw themselves as being sort of they weren't necessarily well some cast of their of their race that consider mm-hmm. themselves above other people, but they kind of consider themselves enlightened. All of a sudden, you know, one of their own is is receiving ridicule, ridicule, and so they play into that. And they talked about that. I mean, the whole before this Babylon Five, you know, space station got started, there was this whole Earth Mumbari war. Yes. And so it's like you know, the, so but she is now literally the combination of those two uh, species, which is just kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole interesting thing with the Mumbari war because the 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 war went on for a while, and then all of a sudden, for no explanation, the Mumbari surrendered, mm. even though the Mumbari were vastly out uh, outpowering the humans and so you find you find out later in the series why they surrender okay they said they, they at least they they wrap stuff up yep. pretty well. all that stuff comes into play okay uh okay so lanier yeah is the is the aide he's a very interesting character very sort of i wouldn't say uptight but he is kind of a little uptight but very nice and and fun uh i'm gonna go ahead and jump in if you don't mind Mm-hmm. He's a side character, but he does have some fun stuff. So I just kind of went with a guy who I think could uh, could do a pretty good job. I went with an actor named Dylan Minette. Okay. Kind of a younger guy. Young, good-looking kid. Well, Lanier looks pretty young, um, even though even though um, the actor I'm sure was much older than him at the time when he you know when he recorded this. He d- he looks pretty young, so I felt like ah, going yeah. with a younger actor was not going to be That's that big of a deal. Cool. No, uh, and actually, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna say, yeah, cool. Um, I don't know this guy, but and you'll probably think about the same for me. I did go actually with a fairly younger looking dude because Lanier did look younger to me as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know these characters like you know, and so you're probably just gonna be like, okay, sure, Adam, because <laughs> um, I'm just like some of them. I'm just throwing names at them, and some of them are I'm just throwing actors who I want to see more of, right. even though maybe maybe they're not the right fit in your eyes but like you know what they're actors yeah. damn it so hopefully they'll figure it out but uh right anyway kind of like a skinnyish looking guy the Lanier was who kind of also did look young um i went with an actor who i like uh, he's really good in uh he was in the show bates motel as norman bates uh he might be most known as charlie in the more recent charlie and the chocolate factor i went with freddie highmore okay. as my Lanier. i like that call too that's he could totally do it He's a, he's a good little actor, yeah. and so, I mean, granted, he's not little anyway, he's, you know, he's... He's, he's older now, but... Yeah, 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 he's like 26 or something oh, yeah, now, a, but I, I... Definitely his late 20s. Yeah, yeah, so he'd, he'd be, I think he'd be pretty good. Yeah, oh, I could totally see that. I like that. It was a good choice. Cool. Yay! All right, uh, now we're going to go on to Dr. Stephen Franklin. We didn't really talk about him, but like I mentioned, every character that was in this show goes through some kind of journey at some point in the series. And not necessarily like in one episode. Dr. Franklin goes through um, a dependence on drugs, even though he's a doctor. And that's something that plays into a decision he makes later. And he basically has to go leave his practice to go do some stuff. So like every, pretty much everyone on the show has their demons, um, which plays into well. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you got you got good depth yeah. in, uh, in every character. That's exactly. Good. So um, I went with might be a little bit of an interesting choice. You know, I mean, the characters can be funny. It's like any other show. There's comedic moments, but it's a generally a serious show. Uh, but I went with an actor who's 
who most of the time I see him, he's in comedic roles. And mm-hmm. I feel like this guy can probably shine in something like this where you can play around in a world where you can give every character a flaw and do something with him. You'll recognize his face more than anything. I went with the actor Nathan Lee Graham. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I have seen him mostly in comedic stuff. I guess I guess Zoolander is what I remember him most Zoolander from. Zoolander is the, the one he's most known for. Yeah, but I feel like I've seen him in other stuff as well. Uh, no, I'd like, I'd like to see him do other stuff. You know, and, and yeah, and see what how he could take a role like this. Uh, we recently, you and I recently talked about uh, the TV show Scrubs. Mm-hmm. He that's where that's where I remember him from. Yes. He yes. played twins. He played yes, twins. That was it. In the show. I see him, and I immediately think of that more than Zoolander. <laughs> yes, Scrubs for sure. I think he. I think he's a fine enough actor. I think giving him a serious role like that with some depth could be really really cool. Okay, for my Franklin, my Doctor Franklin, I went with an actor who I would like to see just more often as well. Uh, he is quite good in a show that is more comic as well, uh, and which was called Psych, but I think he's pretty damn solid that I, I, I just, again, I, I didn't know too much about the guy, but I wanted to see this actor more, so I chose Dulé Hill Okay. Uh, for my Stephen Franklin. No, that's a good choice too. Um, I like Dulé Hill. Okay. I've seen him on, uh, on a few different things. Yeah, I, re- I remember him mostly for The West Wing. Okay. So I, yeah, I totally yeah, see him. Yeah, he on that for a while too. Yeah. Uh, I could totally see him in uh, in that kind of role, too. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> so far, nothing... Uh, I don't know these people, but uh, I'm doing good yeah. enough, and you're doing good enough, and <laughs> we'll see if we... if it, Hopefully, this won't be a super apathetic uh, casting. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, so now we're going to go to Marcus. So Marcus is mm-hmm. kind of like a, a sort of pseudo-martial arts badass. He's a ranger. He's trained by the Mimbari. Basically, in the art of war in order to keep the peace. And he's a very smart guy. He's very charismatic, very charismatic. He's also kind of known in the show, the actor himself, had really nice long hair. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I told my wife I was casting him, I I, I had to tell her that uh, the actor I chose is not going to have those long locks. In fact, he's going to be the opposite. He's probably going to be bald. And she goes, well, they can put on a wig. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to be the same. Um, but I wanted somebody charismatic and could do some martial art. Marcus does a lot of hand-to-hand. You know, he's one of the few characters you see do a lot of hand-to-hand stuff. So I wanted somebody who could do that. I probably went with a guy who's a little bit older, but he looks young enough. And you know what? If you have a charismatic actor in the right role, I don't think the age of the character is going to matter so much. I went with the chairman himself, Mark Dacascos. Oh, yeah. I like, I mean, fucking love him. He is older than the, the Marcus's, but I don't care. I like Mark Dacascos. I mean... We're going to get with him uh, in a movie down the line called Only the Strong that you and I have both been itching yeah. to watch. Uh, but yeah, he is the chairman in Iron Chef, uh, which I find ridiculous <laughs> that, that he was in that. When I saw that, I was like, what the fuck are you doing on Iron <laughs> Chef? You're you're way you're a way better actor than this, <laughs> right. man. But he, I mean, hell, he's probably got an easy money paycheck yeah. for that. I um, mean, he, he was recently in John Wick 3. Um, I think he was the main villain. Yep. So that's cool. And I think, and I think honestly, a lot of people saw him as the villain on John Wick 3 and they're like, why the fuck is the guy from Iron <laughs> Chef on John Wick 3? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, us were like, why the fuck is this good martial artist the fucking Iron Chef? Right. But it's, just, it's funny. <laughs> that's good. So no, I, I, I'm I'm almost never gonna say a bad word about Mark Dacascos, so I'm I'm happy with that. Call. Okay, cool. You know Marcus, the character, better than I do, and so I didn't realize 
because he wasn't really in an episode that I watched that he was like a smooth operator kind of dude. <laughs> I went with like, okay, he's supposed to be a badass. So I went with a badass actor. And I wouldn't say this guy is particularly, you know, charismatic, but he is cool. And he was on a show for a long time as a badass that you, you know, weren't sure, you know, if he was going to be this, you know, just a hard nose. But he's, he has some depth to him as well that you you ended up loving him. He does have some long hair. Now, granted, in the show that he was on, it was almost always kind of gross and unwashed. <laughs> but that's because they lived in kind of a basically a post-apocalyptic kind of thing. I went with Norman Reedus as my Marcus from The okay. Walking Dead. You know what? That would make for a, a different type of Marcus. I, I kind of just focused on the badass. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. going to be a badass ranger killer. And so I didn't I didn't really I don't know uh, enough about the character. No, that would, I mean, that would be. Yeah, because I, I mean, Norman, Norman Reedus, you know, listening to the guy talk, he does seem not he's not exactly his character on Walking Dead. But you can mm-hmm. like you can see there's a lot of Norman Reedus in that character. Mm, so okay. uh, it would be a different kind of Marcus. But. Sort of like with Mark DeCascos, you know, I love Norman Reedus. Yeah, um, I love, I loved, I loved what he did in. Uh, I loved him in Blade uh, or Blade Two. Yeah, whichever one I think it was Blade Two he was in. I loved him in that role. The first Boon, the first Boondock Saints is yeah, good Boondock Saints. I liked that, and I, I love him in, in The Walking Dead. So I can't argue so, with that okay. because in that, you know, giving him that kind of role, yeah, it wouldn't be the same Marcus I I know from Babylon Five, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily need that. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah. exactly okay. the same. We're not recur. We're not. You know, it's not going to be like a copycat version. You take the characters, you make inspirations, and maybe you need to make changes. That's fine. And you know what? Norman Reedus can be charming. Yeah, I'm I sure don't. He can I don't see any reason why not. So I like that. I like that call too. All right, cool. Yay. Okay, so the next one is Jakar. Jakar is kind of one of the. F- few heavily makeup aliens in the show as i mentioned before his race was in, sort of enslaved by the centauri so there's a lot of tension between him and the other ambassador i kind of wanted an actor who you wouldn't expect to be in makeup and I, to this day i'm not sure i've ever seen this guy do a role in makeup i i wanted someone who could be serious and a little funny when he needed to be and i wanted somebody with a really good voice who could disappear behind the makeup I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to second guess myself. Uh, he, he's a he's a he's a good actor. I, I think he would do some of that, and he's probably a way bigger name than I would have for that for this role. I went with Liam Neeson. Oh wow, <laughs> that is a big name. He's got a voice. He's got a good voice. I like his voice. Um, yeah, and Jakar's not like an action kind of guy anyway. Right. He's a diplomat, so you know that totally can make sense. Uh, I, I I bet. <laughs> Liam Neeson could do it. I, I, I'm having trouble imagining it because I did see Jakar and, and just trying to be like, I don't know. I, I'm having and I'm having trouble envisioning Liam Neeson in like reptilish makeup right. uh, as an alien kind of thing too. So with his uh, what is the Scottish or his Irish accent yeah. or whatever, you know. But it's funny, like if you see a picture of Andreas Consulis, when you see like if you think of the one arm man, you don't think mm-hmm. you know makeup actor. No. So you don't, and you don't need to. Yeah, exactly. You know, any actor I think, given the chance, would. I mean, yeah. shit. Think of we've talked about this. We've talked about this movie, and eventually we will. I think get to the, think of the movie Enemy Mine. You know, the the yeah. alien in that is Louis Louis Gossett yeah. Jr. and not somebody you'd think of in makeup, and yet he kills it in that movie. Yeah, true. I think if you have a good enough actor, I think it, it won't matter. True, true, true. And Liam Neeson's a good actor. 
Um, and, and I'm sure they're going to do an episode where Jakar's daughter gets <laughs> stolen and he's got to go fight his way through <laughs> Babylon 5 to uh, get her back. And I'm pretty sure that will happen. Uh, okay. That's that's all he makes now. After he made the first Taken, he's only made Taken movies since. <laughs> like, he's made Taken and then ripoffs of Taken, where he's just, they cast him because he'll take almost any role, it seems, but as long as it's like this fake action bullshitty stuff. Yeah, anyway, but he's really good at it. <laughs> he is good at it. True. All right. Yeah. Hard to envision it, but I'm cool with it. Um, hopefully you like mine. I kind of, I went with the actor. He's got a good voice because I've seen him do makeup and, uh, you know, with a kind of a, a deep kind of voice that I think would fit a reptile look as needed mm-hmm. and he's not exactly a reptile but it's kind of it's, it's i don't know how else to explain it but uh my guy he's solid and i liked him a lot as ronin in the Gal- gardens of the galaxy movie mm. and i think he could do this and he's shown that he can do things in makeup so i went with lee pace as my jakar yeah that's a, that's a that's also a good choice i mean lee pace lee pace cool. has proved himself in in several movies mm-hmm. I mean, as far as like makeup and stuff goes you know he was in the hobbit films he was in mm-hmm. um you know guardians of the galaxy and stuff like that so that's it that's also a good call and probably a, a Woo! probably a more uh, likely call than Liam <laughs> yeah. Neeson. Yeah, because I, I could I could see Liam Neeson be like, wait, how long do I have to fucking sit in the makeup chair? Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, as we were talking about before with CGI, if you think if you think about yeah. Avengers Endgame mm. and how many of the characters like didn't actually wear a costume, they just had a suit with yeah. like dots on it, and that's what they acted. Yeah, in. yeah, and, or, or in dots on their face, and that's it. Yeah, yeah as well. Okay. He would do that. All right, so uh, moving right along, uh, we're on to Londo Malari, who is the uh, Centauri ambassador. Um, they're kind of, they have sort of a unique look. Um, they look very human-like, mm-hmm. but they have kind of like an interesting hair cut going on. Most of the, all the women are bald. Okay, I didn't, um, I didn't see any Centauri women. So the women are, like, they're they're bald with, with like, a ponytail on the back. It's kind of interesting. It's a little weird. But, I mean, you know, okay. you're trying to make them look alien. Like, like kind of like how... Goro had his just the ponytail, I sort think. of, but it's instead of high up, it's like all the way at the bottom in the back. Oh, okay. So it's like it, okay, so okay, if okay. you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it. Sexy. You do find out later uh, that I don't know if the women have this, but the men don't have one but six tentacled penises. <laughs> what? How did that come up? <laughs> you just have to watch the series to figure it out. Okay, because it's Six not it's, it's not something that comes up that often in the show, but it has come up. Uh-huh. Apparently, it's one for every level of intensity. God. <laughs> so he's a good. So you watch the guy, and you don't. I don't see him as a good lover, but apparently, I think he's a smooth talker. That's what he is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a politician. He's a politician. All right. So I really hate to say this. I love this actor, but the more and more I think about him, he may not have been the best call for this role. Londo is very kind of jovial, and you know what? Maybe I chose this actor because I don't see him in too many jovial roles, and it would just be nice to to see him change. I mean, he's a great actor. There's going to be when I say his name, I can't imagine you saying, "Oh, that's a he's a shit actor." I mm-hmm. I can't at all. And maybe he's not someone you would think of for this role, but I think I would want to give him a chance at something like this if it was something he's interested in. I went with the actor West. Studi. Oh, West Studi. Very good actor. Very um a lot of gravitas yeah. with West Studi. Yeah. Honestly, when it when it comes to his acting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I got cuz I got I got with some of Lando's stuff, I got I got some sleazy vibes. Yes. Which I don't know if I would get from West Studi, but he could do it. And I think maybe that was my I'm guessing that was my thought process. Well, I and mean, it was my thought process. It was okay. This is not a character you've ever seen West Studi play. So giving him yeah. the chance to do something like this, you know, he might surprise. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe West Studi did it, and it would sound like West Studi. And I'm like, eh. 
it would be too serious. Or maybe mm-hmm. he would surprise you. He's a good actor. He's also a little bit older than I think it would have won Lando Rey. Yeah. But, you know, nowadays it doesn't really, the age doesn't matter. Especially if a character with a lot of makeup on and stuff, that part of it doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah. He's done tons of stuff. He's definitely fantastic. He do remember he was in the shitty ass movie Street Fighter with John Claude Van Damme. So <laughs> he makes some choices that aren't perfect high gravitas style acting either. Sometimes you got to do something for the money. Yes, you do. So uh, no, I, I like him. I think that's a that's a good call. Okay. Um, I went with a, a little bit of a younger actor, but he's I think is is solid. I, I haven't seen him in a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I mostly know him from The Dark Knight. He has got a small role in that, but. Uh, uh, this guy was cast as the next Shang Tsung in an upcoming Mortal Kombat remake. His name is Chin Han, and I bet if you see, if you check him out, you'll recognize him. And you'll be like, oh yeah, I've seen him before. I think, you know, he's actually going to do a pretty damn good job as Shang Tsung. And so I think he could have some of that sleaze and some of that politician stuff uh, with Lando. So that's that's who I went with, Chin Chin Han. Oh yeah, yeah. He's the he's the financial guy that Batman goes after yes. in Hong Kong or whatever. Yeah, okay. yep. I do I do like the sleaze. I mean, you get the sleaze factor in Dark Knight, so instantly right there yeah. I see the connection. That's definitely that's where I was going. And then and then I saw afterwards that he's going to be Shang Tsung, and I'm like, okay, if they're trusting him to take over for Terry Tagawa, I'm going to trust him to be my Lando. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Speaking of Terry uh, Tagawa, uh, my wife has been watching the uh, Man in the High Castle series uh-huh. which he is in every time i walk into the room and i hear his voice i just go your soul is mine <laughs> yes as you should as, as one should when when one hears the voice of terry carried together mm-hmm. uh, i like that it's hard to say but he is definitely an actor i'd be willing to give a a, a chance okay. in the role and it would be like okay cool let's see what he can do okay uh moving right along we still got uh <laughs> One, two, three, four more people to go. Michael Garibaldi, he's the uh, head of security. Um, he does kind of quit that job around season three or four, I think. Um, and some other mm. shit happens to him. Oh, or okay. he kind of goes against the people of Babylon 5. It's actually a very interesting story. Like I said, you just you got to watch the series. So uh, I'm not going to talk too much about the guy I picked. Um, I just thought he's a good actor. He could fit a role like this. I went with the actor Patrick Wilson. Um, he played, I forget what the character's name. He was in, he was recently in... In Aquaman. He played the oh, main yeah. bad guy. I, he was also in. Um, I re- I remember him uh, from Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen. He was the Night Owl. Yes, Night Owl and Watchmen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a good actor. Yeah, I've seen him around. That's cool. He actually looks a lot like one of the guys I was about to cast. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 he's a good actor. I like that choice. Okay, cool. That's cool. The actor I was about to cast was Adam Baldwin from Serenity. Oh yeah. And he just kind of seeing him makes me think. Mainly, I guess probably just from Serenity being you know okay a sci-fi thing. Here's another sci-fi thing. But uh, I went with uh, kind of like you know a, a badass look character and then also a good actor which i i when he died off on his show i went with another the uh walking dead actor okay and he when he died off i it's also i think when i just stopped watching the show (laughs) partly because i was just fucking sick of the show anyway uh, maybe I'll go back and watch the rest of it, which I think you you have you watched the whole thing? Are they still they're still are they doing the last season or something like that? Uh, I don't know. They're still going. They're still going. Okay, but I'm pretty sure maybe they're I think they're in their last season. Anyway, I went with Michael Cudlitz, who was Abraham in The Walking Dead. He's a badass. I, I liked him quite a bit, so I want to see more of him. Oh yeah, no, that'd be interesting. I would like to see him in more, in more things as well. Yeah, and that's pretty much where that stemmed from. Okay, yeah, I like that. All right, it's kind of weird. Like we're right now, we're we're picking actors that I think the other person <laughs> likes. Yeah, whether or not they're yeah. really good for that role, we'll see. Yeah. All right, so we've got three people left: Delenn, Ivanova, and Sheridan. Um, these are probably the two ladies. I think are probably my two biggest 
A-listers aside from Liam Neeson, mm. as far as my list goes. And that's not to say that my Sheridan isn't an A-lister, but I, I think he's he's less known to the public than my other two. Uh, so Delenn, uh, she's the Mimbari who changes into human or half human, I guess. I uh, went with an actress who uh, I've really kind of uh, grown to like. She was in the Hobbit series and has recently joined, not that recently, um, but has joined the MCU as the Wasp. I went with Evangeline Lilly. Okay. Unlike her, she's a good actress. Uh, yeah, I totally. <laughs> I'm all for that. Sure. Go Evangeline Lilly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I imagined that a lot of these actors, you probably wouldn't have a chance to to fight me on because you you don't know the show as well as I do. That's 100% correct. So I, I'm just kind of like just bending over whatever you want, sir. Yes, that's a great actor. You got it. I guess as long as, you know, as long as I don't pick someone like, you know, Taylor Swift. I guess we're Yeah, fine. or Simon Pegg. Are you saying Simon Pegg is a shit actor? No, I think actually he would probably fit pretty well in Babylon 5 thinking about it. Okay. Maybe like he'd probably be pretty good Lando if I had to, if I had to just throw him on in the cast. Eh, yeah. All right, who'd you go with? Anyway... I, uh, definitely not Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. <laughs> go back, anybody, go back and watch our Bill and Ted episode if you want to hear me and John fight. If you're upset that John and I aren't fighting on this casting, <laughs> go back and listen to either our Monkey Island episode, our, uh, the one that we did with, uh, Jonathan, the, 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 um, Jar- the Justice League Dark episode, the, the Bill and Ted episode. Those are some good fighting casting where John and I are both passionate <laughs> about that stuff. Adam just shits on my choices for no reason. No, 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 no. You've shit on my choices too, sir. Uh, not, not as much. Uh, I think it, it has happened. But yeah, I, I tend to be a little bit more vocal with my <laughs> shitting. Just Dis- anyway, pleasure. Yeah. Um, you'll pr- if there's anybody, it's probably this actress I chose for Delenn that you're probably not going to care for. She, she's not in a ton of stuff, but I've seen her and I'm like, oh, yeah, you look like a nice little sweetheart. I don't know. That's a try not to sound too sexist, but she just seems like a nice, genuinely nice person. Mm-hmm. And Delenn seemed like a nice person in the episodes that I watched. She is. OK, so I went with uh, Jama Mays is her name. And I bet you'd recognize her when you see her. And, and I think, honestly, she kind of just I, I saw her and you're like. She kind of reminded me just of the look of uh, Delenn anyway. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go with her. Uh, she hasn't been anything too huge, as I mentioned. But uh, anyway, I, I, I guess I liked the look of her more than anything. I recognize her only from the TV show How I Met Your Mother. Okay. That's it. Yeah. I don't really recognize her from anything else. Yeah. And she only had like a, like a she one, only, uh, one-off episode, right? She was in like right? two, maybe three episodes yeah. at most. Okay. It's really just a lack of knowledge of her work. And I'm not even going off of much of that. I'm kind of just going off of, oh, you kind of remind me of the look of Delenn. So okay. how about that? And you, okay. you seem, you look, you look like a nice person. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's kind okay. of Okay. All right. All right. Uh, all right. So let's move on to uh, Ivanova, who is the second. <laughs> Moving in on. You're, you're not even mentioning on that yeah, one. <laughs> I'm just going to breeze right past that. Uh, Ivanova's second in command. She's a little bit of a hard ass in the show. Mm-hmm. She does have some softer moments, but uh, overall, she makes a really good second in command. Mm-hmm. I went with an actress who's kind of fallen off the radar a little bit. The actress Claudia Christian, who plays Ivanova, I don't know, I, I couldn't really find anyone else who I think reminded me of, of her. 
So I just went with somebody else who I think, you know, could play kind of a, a badass military commander type person and someone who I w- want to see. I haven't seen in a while. So I went with a big name actress. I went with Jessica Biel. Oh, well, she is a big name actress. She can be a badass. Uh, I'm cool with Jessica Biel. I, I think she is um, very big name. But yeah, I, but I, I'm imagining things a little bit differently than you. So right. totally fine. Okay. I, I'm not, I am as apathetic to that one as I am. <laughs> All the other ones. All right. Who did you go with? I went with an actress who uh, I don't know if you know her. If I don't know if you ever watched True Blood. Uh, she can be kind of badass in that show. She has been in a few episodes of Arrow. So maybe that's where you recognize her from if you... Uh, I, I think you watched that show, but her name is uh, Rutina Wesley. She's a vampire in True Blood and she, she definitely Tara. be pretty bad. Yeah, she, she's pretty badass, and so yeah. I think she would be a pretty good military commander. I I really like that choice, actually. Okay, uh, I loved cool. her in True Blood. I did. Wa- I watched that whole series. So yeah, that's. I think that's the that's the only choice of yours that I'm actually hey. really excited about. All right, woohoo! I take it, baby. <laughs> and you like you like Lee Pace a little bit. Oh no, I do. But, I uh, like Lee is... Pace. Lee Pace would work too. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I All think right. I think this is a that's a really good choice. I like that a lot. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Which makes it even more interesting because Ivanova is Russian. Oh yeah. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Hello. My name is Rutina Wesley. <laughs> she doesn't speak with an accent, really, but... Damn it, in my version, she just might. Okay. No, that'd be cool. No, I like that. I like that one a lot. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. So now we're finally down to our main guy, Captain John Sheridan, um, who took over for most of the seasons. So I wanted, you know, in, in my sort of miniseries version of this, I wanted, you know, a, an actor who had a really strong presence, could goof around if he needed to, but, you know, when he when it was time to be serious, he had that look about him. So I went with uh, an actress who's fairly well known. Um, some people may kind of have to look up some of the stuff, but any of our any of our nerd friends out there would instantly recognize him as Thorin from The Hobbit. Uh, I went with Richard Armitage. Yeah, good actor. I like him. He's got a good voice as well. He's definitely he's shown in The Hobbit stuff that he can be a leader presence. Yeah. So I think that fits really well with the commander of uh, of Babylon 5. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a great choice. Okay, cool. It's probably a better choice than what I went with. But <laughs> I, I like my actor as well. But um, you're probably going to see him and just be like, meh. Okay. <laughs> I went with an actor who is very versatile. I've seen him in some comedies. I've seen him in some dramas. He's got the look kind of, I guess, that I was uh, that just kind of reminded me of Sheridan from the show. So I think that's tied, tied into it. He's been in 12 Years a Slave and Deadwood and Raising Hope, which is a comedy that, you know, maybe he's best well known for. But I went with Garrett Dillahunt. He's a pretty recognizable look. I think to the guy, but uh, he just kind of looks. I think I think he could lead a Babylon Five show as a commander. Um, I don't really know him. I mean, okay. I Darn. I never watched No Country for Old Men. I didn't watch Deadwood. Uh-huh. I should watch Deadwood. I've heard nothing but good things about that show. Mm-hmm. I've only seen Twelve Years a Slave once, and I don't really remember his character mm-hmm. in that. I've seen his face. Okay, I don't really know him. So I, that is something. That's somebody I'd have to uh, research a little bit more to have a, more of an opinion on. Okay, and I didn't. I haven't watched Fear the Walking Dead since I watched yeah. the first season, and that was it. I didn't. Okay. I didn't bother to to continue with that. So. All right, so I get a I get a meh. You kind of get a meh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, well I'm I'm sticking to my uh, Rutina Wesley for Ivanova, so okay. I'm good with that one. Okay, cool. I made one call. All right, cool. All right, that was our recasting of Babylon Five. 
Please join us next time for another Top 10 episode. John and I list our Top 10 favorite 90s music videos. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Everybody, I'm Corey, and I'm Zach, and we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get.